This is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Woman Podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. Michelle Manu is probably one of the most interesting, unique, and accomplished martial artists that I know. I'd like to start with her mantra because it affects all of us to some depth and level. She says, own your space, powerfully embrace who you are, don't apologize for what you know, and continually strive to become more than who you are. Michelle is known for her accomplishments as a 10th black belt and teacher, or kumu, of the rarely seen ancient Hawaiian combat art lua. She's also the only woman thus far to be given the designation of Knight Commander for her continued work in promoting, protecting, and perpetuating the Hawaiian culture through the lua. She was inducted into the 2016 Martial Art History Museum's Hall of Fame for altering the course of history of martial arts. She's also a wood weapons maker and expert. In the past, Michelle toured the Midwest as a professional Polynesian hula dancer and choreographer. Today, for the everyday woman, she uses the hula, the lua, metaphysics, and wellness to teach empowerment through her Butterfly Effect program. She also taught airline professionals how to protect themselves after 9-11, and there's a pretty funny story involved in that. I know you're going to want to hear that part. Um, Michelle's been a vocational leader in the legal profession for 23 years. Her experience has been vast and includes teaching college-level courses, sitting on college academic advisory boards, investigation, litigation, transactional and administrative law, and more. But make sure you check out her entire biography on my blog page for this podcast at themartialartswoman.com. In the meantime, I think we should get started with uh, talking to Michelle about all these amazing experiences, and I know you're going to absolutely love it. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women podcast. No, thank you for having me, Andrea. I know. So exciting to be able to talk to you again. It's been a while. It has, but we're busy ladies. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But there's so much to talk about. You're so interesting. And for people who don't know you, this is going to be really interesting because of the martial arts that you practice, your background. It's it's different. It's unique. And I I think women are going to really enjoy hearing something that's a little bit different. And first of all, though, Let's go back to the beginning. And I don't think I even know this about you, but what was the reason you began learning a martial art? And before we talk really about what style, just generally, what prompted you to learn a martial art? Uh, Well, it wasn't really something I wanted to do because it was a a boy activity. So um, really what it came down to was my mom saw a two for one special and Uh uh, decided to, you know, this is early 80s so she decided to enroll me and my sister um and you know there's it was uncomfortable and I didn't really want to do it but I had already been a, a team gymnast uh, competition and did all the girl activities dance tap ballet mm-hmm. acrobats all of that and um so of course you know I went and I think it was in the first 10 minutes of 
of that class. It was so foreign. I felt like I was wearing pajamas. I didn't yeah. understand the language. And, but it was 10 minutes of um, just following along on, on the floor where I realized, um, wow, this, this really isn't for boys. This is, this is for girls. This is for me too. And even though we were the only two girls in the class, something happened that moment when I was nine years old. Uh, um, so it took a hold of me then. Right. Yeah. So what style was that initial? Style uh, that was that merely American Kempo. So, okay. Yeah. What was prevalent um, in the brick and mortar at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So since then, obviously you've changed course in a lot of the things that you study. What, what do you practice and teach today? Because it's not something we hear about every day. Uh, well, I mean, it's the only Native art to the people known as Hawaii now, which, uh, you know, before it came a state, it had a different name. And so mm-hmm. it's the only combat art that's Native, um, and it's mostly survival. And they used, obviously, like many Indigenous cultures, they used what was around them. Everything was for, you know, utility as well as for survival. So in this art, it's very interesting because one, for me, I'm obviously, I have um, conscious, not unconscious, conscious bias um, mm-hmm. because I, I find it to be very beautiful and it's um, very effective point A to point B wave-like motions. Um, so a lot of self-control is necessary. And it's, so it's, if you can think of um, the way I describe it is if you look at the beautiful Kahiko, the ancient um, uh, ceremonial hula, not the ha. Mm-hmm. Um, and you convert those beautiful moves that are telling you the story about animals or um, nature, uh, and you convert those into powerful strikes using the masculine energy. That is really what it looks like. Um, and sometimes we combine, you know, up to seven or more moves in, in one technique. Um, so it's a very beautiful art. I uh, studied under Solomon Kaivalu who was here on the mainland um, since the the 50s. And um, since his um, passing uh, Mm -hmm. in July of last year, 2019, I've been able to connect with some of the other elders um, back home Mm -hmm. in Hawaii that are of other lineages. So when you ask me, what do I teach? Yes, I'm ranked and I have the permission to teach the Kaivalu Lua or the Hawaiian Lua Kaivalu lineage. I'm also um, very grateful to be able to now incorporate other lineages. Um, Obviously, the base of what I teach is always will always be Kaivalu. So, yes. (laughs) Well, that's very interesting. So, how did you? And hopefully, you didn't mention this already. But how did you actually get involved in that? How did you transform and go from like the American Kempo and whatever other styles into that particular? Well, it was a progression. I think, you know, you know, on a, on a macro satellite level, I think, you know, us women really need to pay everyone really, this is genderless, pay attention Mm -hmm. to the way we're led in our lives. And when doors close, um, to accept that without holding on and having any type of attachment so that you can be free to see where your, where your life is going to lead you. Because from what I've now I'm a grandmother, you know, I'm moving into that elder stage and I have a lot to learn still, yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, we never fully arrive, um, but we can make it less painful. We don't have to learn the lessons hard and we can uh, accept the pretty easy lessons the first time they come around and they may not be so easy, but, you know, I was uh, moved to Chicago 
as my base at 15 years old. And um, I toured as a professional Polynesian dancer and choreographer, a choreographer towards the latter part. Right. And, um, you know, while I was in Chicago, obviously can't go to the same school here in Southern California. So I started to take Taekwondo um, and Hapkido strictly for conditioning because the conditioning was so great and I needed it for stage presence. I needed it for, you know, when you have 11 shows in one week <laughs> and practices on top of yeah. that, you know, you really need to keep your cardio up. So I wanted to still keep it martial, even though it wasn't combat necessarily, not contact. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what I did during that time. And so when I returned home to Southern California, um, I was, there was no internet at the time. And so I was looking through the yellow pages and I was able to find um, my Olohe and um, which means master uh, lead mm -hmm. teacher. Um, he initially, I called, I called in uh, after checking out a couple other schools uh, with some adversity to being a woman, believe it or not. Um, and uh, so uh, I called and uh, my call didn't make it through. Uh, the individual that answered said he doesn't teach women and she hung up. And then I called again and I said, I'm not sure what happened. I think we got disconnected. I, <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. I've trained in martial arts since I was nine. I've been a professional hula dancer. I'm really interested in learning the Lua and specifically this lineage. And she said, he hasn't taught women from since the beginning of the eighties. And she hung up. And so I called back again and I said, I'll just keep calling back. I would really like to talk to Alohe. Um, you know, if I could just get him on the phone for a couple minutes and I said, if you could please take my number. And at that time, thankfully she relented and took my number. Um, and 20 minutes later he called and we had a conversation where, and then he invited me to come and watch a class. Um, and at that time he had just closed his third dojo, um, and removed himself from the public and was teaching back in his garage. And, you know, I, Andrea, I look back at that moment of arriving in my very early 20s in my work attire, yeah. you know, of a young daughter. And I, I, I just sit in this sometimes of that moment when I parked my Camaro <laughs> and I got out and had yeah. no idea what to expect. And um, that was one of those moments where your life changes forever. Mm -hmm. And it's that willingness stepping into that moment. I could have said, you know what? It's too much trouble. Forget this. I'm not going. He clearly doesn't want women. Why are you even pursuing this? And had I not gone, my I wouldn't be sitting here with you yeah. today. So amazing. Isn't the choices it? that we make. Yeah. Wow. And your, your point about having to sometimes let go, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, also pursuing mm -hmm. what is absolutely right for you. And you, you tend to know that. Well, if we listen, you know, it's like, you know, going to the ladies room, like, wait, wait, I just going to get one more thing done. And, you know, yeah. I think we do that, not by yeah. so, but obviously biologically with, with, with a biological function. But if you look at our spirit, I really think that we do that. We suppress our inner woman, our, our guide, our gut that is really guiding us to what's next for us. And instead of suppressing it and resisting it, this resistance is relentless. It's, you know, maybe embrace it, step into that and say, well, what is, is this what you have for me? Is this mm -hmm. what's next? What, what, what doors do I need to shut? You know, I, I talk about with my students, the birthing, nurturing and putting to death process. We are constantly creating, we are constantly choosing, we're constantly in motion. 
Um, and I think, you know, looking at the choices that are presented to us to look at it in that way of like, oh, this is something new. It's time to birth or, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this. It's not going exactly as well as I want. I need to nurture this a little bit. I need to spend time in that garden with the mm-hmm. specific goal and nurture it. What else can I do um, to make this move forward? And that's sometimes very clear with relationships, with maybe employers, um, and also goals, uh, you know, it's time to let it go. It's time to say, I've done my best. You know, what I think of Andrea is that avatar, um, in the first avatar film where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the new avatar shows up and he's wild and out of control. And, and it's, you know, the, the female, the princess that needs to, uh, he gets in a fight with these boars that look like boars and the one is injured and she takes, she puts it to death and she thanks, you know, um, or the God for the energy for, you know, this animal and allows it to pass on. And while Mm -hmm. it's really sad, sometimes we have to make that decision in our lives for certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And I really, I've always enjoyed your very holistic and natural view of, of womanhood and how it relates to life and martial arts. Um, Mm, It's a different perspective and, and that's really one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is to open up perspectives for people to see more about women and womanhood and Mm. and how to view it maybe differently than you do right now. Um, So just stepping back a little bit, I know you're, you're ranked very high in, uh, in your martial arts. So tell us a little bit about your rank and then, and also about this um, consideration of being a disciple of the art and being given the designation of a knight commander. Um, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, they're, the knight um, and disciple, they're related but unrelated. Um, you know, I think all of us set out with, you know, the intention of I want to, I want to get my black belt. I want to have mm-hmm. something to show for this. I, it is, you know, and the ranks are important today to show that we've reached a level of competency in, in whatever relative system we've been so blessed to be accepted as a student or a disciple. Um, I think for me, you know, uh, overcoming that, uh, the adversity to having a woman, mm-hmm. um, made it that much more challenging, um, especially spending my first two to two and a half years alone or with one other person when my training as Olohe deprogrammed me, removed all former training and got me to move and speak the language within my body. And that is really important, I think. And I'm trying to get that through to my students today is that, you know, we may be walking books of, of information. And while that's very helpful, we can compare and contrast other arts with one another and know the differences as out of respect, not Mm -hmm. out of judgment. Um, There's also a point where we shut our mouths and our bodies show our proficiency. And that was really his goal with me was to make me move like him. Um, And what a, what an honor that is looking back at, the thousands of repetitions and hours and hours of training and hitting the ground hundreds of times within class, every class, not missing a class, showing up five days a week. It could go an hour. It could go four. You just never knew with him. And it was his way of breeding his own group of warriors, if you will. Um, Right. 
But, you know, there is a difference between soldiers and warriors. Soldiers take orders. Warriors are then able to then make their own decisions and be autonomous, being true to the integrity of the information that they have been gifted with. So for the most part, I was a soldier. We were not allowed to talk with anyone outside of our group. I mean, even outside of our nuclear group there with him. You know, we had other Lua um, halaos uh, that, of course, were under Olohe in different parts of the nation and even in Hawaii. And it was pretty much unsaid that, you know, you don't talk to your cousins. I talk uh-huh. to your cousins. You do what you're supposed to do. So it was oh, decades of being sequestered, right. focusing on your own training. And so in that in itself, you realize uh, the seriousness of this information from the beginning of the culture and how it's evolved and where your role is right now. And And that's the difference, I think, with, you know, the arts that we learn today, and they have to change, we evolve. And, you know, I often wonder, uh, with my our foremothers who were warriors, and even our forefathers, you know, would they utilize technology to, in their time, if they had it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think they would. So, you know, like myself, I can come under fire for teaching this very important cultural art, which is deemed to be sacred um, with most of the natives, you know, on a platform where I'm teaching students all over the world now on a regular basis. Whereas I feel that that's my duty and that goes into being a night commander of promoting, protecting the integrity and perpetuating the integrity of the information and the way it's presented to the character of individuals that won't misuse it and also mm, right. won't convert it into something else, you know, and, and that's very, very important. So I think it was um, three or so, three and a half, three years ago, four years ago, where the uh, Royal Order of Kamehameha I, which is an organization of all men, you cannot be a member as a woman. You can join the members affiliate, uh, Nawahine. Uh, but you and which pretty much uh, take on the colonialistic way of supporting the men. But the men uh, on there's a chapter on every island. They're involved in all native issues and, um, you know, much respect to the work that they do. They were giving uh, certain designations to individuals um, that were native or nationals. And uh, when I heard, I thought it was a joke. Uh, when I got the call, I heard that they wanted to recognize me and give me the title of Knight Commander, which is the second highest uh, knight designation within the order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, I wouldn't be a knight. The equivalent to that is dame for a female. It's not lady. Lady is the wife of a knight. Um, so it, my actual designation which should probably be dame commander. But um, that was an honor. I was recognized for promoting, perpetuating, and protecting the Lua and the culture through the Lua, which, of course, was not a fake, (laughs) was not something I, uh, you know, (laughs) I I just couldn't believe it because I still to this day cannot be a member, uh, the the irony of that. So, uh, you know, of course, I'm not going to uh, decline that. I I accept it, you know, so. Um, as far as my rank, the, all of us were elevated um, that were the, in the nuclear group and outside our cousins, if you will, with other localities of the Kaivalulua. And um, so we all hold the same rank now. One, um, well, most of us, most of us hold the same rank and we do have the permission to teach. And we, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one last thing, because I know this is long winded is, um, you know, Alohi said, you know, I give you the recipe. 
you'll all cook it for different periods of time. You'll all present it differently on, on, on your plates or platters and you'll season it differently, but it's still the same recipe. And so I have my own recipe, which he said, go, go forth and teach the world, bring in the hula, add the wellness, add the woodworking and do what you must and Mm -hmm. correct what you see, what needs to be corrected. And I rest in that daily. So, uh, you know, beyond your practice and everything we've just discussed, weapons are very important to you. And I know that you actually make weapons and are considered a weapons expert in, in what you make. So tell us about some of the wood weapons that you make and how they're used and a little bit about that. Uh, Well, you know, I'm a firm believer of what we can do vertical with a weapon. If you strip the weapon, we should be able to do a similar technique that it's Mm -hmm. not reliant on the weapon. Also that goes for what we do vertically. We should also be able to do a version horizontally when we're on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, uh, that's extremely important. Um, The weaponry is, I mean, what an honor to be able to learn it and have some sort of mastery where it doesn't fly out of your hands and crack a mirror, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately the, the, the goal. Um, and also the goal is to not have it, you know, drop it or stripped from us um, right. and right. used on us. So, you know, that's highly important. I love all the weaponry. You talk about evolution. I can look back in my training solo and with Olohe and with the guys, my, my Lua brothers, and I can see where I transitioned where each weapon has had its moment of being my favorite. Um, so, you know, learning and, and mastering each weapon as best as I can with my own hands, my hand strength, my forearm strength um, has been really important to me. And I work with them regularly. Uh, all of them have their own purposes uh, for striking, poking, stabbing, um, striking. It's, it's a really, you know, and different, you know, learning the weight distribution of, of each weapon and the, how long they are and how short they are, how mm-hmm. you can conceal them. That's the exciting part about learning and becoming uh, your own expert um, in, in each, each different weapon. Um, but I love making them. It's um, like anything. My one mentor, uh, Kumu, uh, Lucia Taralo, who wrote the Kui'e Lua, the ancient Lua book, um, as well as the ancient women of Hawaii and the ancient men of Hawaii. Uh, you know, she goes into the different roles, but she does talk about weaponry and um, the process, the process in which making it was actually what made it sacred. I think in today's time, we rush through everything. Everything is get it done and it's check it off the list. Mm, when right. the, yeah. And when the mere act of anything done in the, the ancient, the Maoli culture of, of the Hawaiians, um, it was the process that made it sacred, the intent that one put into it, which then focused the energy, which put one into movement into that energy to accomplish it. But it wasn't the end all be all just to accomplish it and check it off the list. It was the actual act of that sacredness of birthing mm-hmm. something and nurturing it. And so that's really what happens when, you know, I am in the wood shop and, um, you know, when I'm asked to make weapons for certain individuals, I'm in prayer the entire time. And it's not to Jesus. It's not to a specific deity. It's to divinity and to pray for the person that this is, is owned by that, you know, does that this individual doesn't, the owner doesn't befall on any, 
sort of issues while they're holding a weapon or have the weapon in their possession and that the weapon has a long lifespan and Mm. that it benefits the owner and that it's not misused for anything that it's not supposed to be misused for. Um, So that's the process. Um, Besides asking, which stain would you like? Would you like a stain at all? (laughs) What type of twine would you like? So, you know, all of these things are very important when working with weaponry. Yeah. Well, there's surely a sense of spirituality to what you do and in your practice and your weaponry. Um, But on the other hand, there's a very heavy sense of practicality. I know you teach women. And I'd also like to just point on the fact, touch on the fact that back in 2002, you actually taught air cabin crew safety to pilots and flight attendants as a result of 9-11. I mean, that's, that's a huge, I don't know, acknowledgement of what you do and how important it can be in a practical sense. Tell us a little bit about that experience, and then we'll talk also about the practical teaching for the everyday woman. Um, so what was that experience about like for you? Oh, well, thank you. That, and it is very serious because you remove it from just um, being able to work in a dojo and work a technique until you actually have it, which is what we should do, into yeah. a realm of a, a high-risk profession. Um, you know, because after 9-11, we had the shoe bomber. And, mm-hmm. and several other incidents where, you know, it becomes, they're no longer just going to work. These poor men and women are, you know, their lives are threatened. And that brings that back into combat. That brings this, draws it back into a level right. of, you know, red and black. Um, you know, so it was, uh, I was lucky. Uh, it was actually uh, my, my uh, Alohi was contacted and they were looking specifically for women. And at that time, there really weren't many women that, could go in and, and, and be an inside uh, fighter, if you will. And, and yeah. you know, everything is, we're, we're told as women to keep people out of our space, but what happens when they breach that? So um, using the galley, using the overheads, using the, um, the walkway, the aisle, using the um, seat uh, armrests and backrests, uh, being able to lodge an opponent against that, using those plastic ear earplugs remember mm-hmm. those yeah yeah yes using that as a strangling cord using it as a whipping cord using those metal um pitchers that they had and the magazines they used to hand out we used everything that was available to them even the trays that was an amazing tool um so we were on a mock-up airplane and um i think uh, i'll tell you a funny story here uh it's not so it's funny now but it wasn't funny right, at the time right so um, being very militant, being a soldier within the Halal, my Lohe says, you're going to meet me here at this time. It was in the valley. And um, I walk in and there's half of a plane that's cut up. There's media everywhere, just cameras, probably about seven, nine huge you know, cameras <laughs> set up. You know, I, I walk in, he meets me. Chuck Norris is there. You've got, you know, a couple people that were obviously there that were high, you know, high yeah. visibility. Um, that are endorsing this where martial artists are, um, you know, in, in impacting pilots and flight attendants as a result of this. And uh, uh, this, this assistant walks up and says, you know, are, will you be demonstrating? And, and, and my Lohe says, yes, I know not to say a word until I am told to say a word. Right. And uh, she said, come with me. And he motions with his head, go. I go, she takes me into this trailer and they have all of these flight attendant outfits. Um, and, you know, they've got it, it actually in decades. So they have like, 
you know, the seventies, the eighties and the nineties. And I'm like, Oh my, Oh my God. She's like, okay, what size are you now? I'm a thick woman. And I love being a thick woman because I need my power. My body is truly a byproduct of the way that I train for power and speed and flexibility. It is not about being a fitness bunny and that's okay. No, no, no slight to fitness bunnies, but I would rather have my power right. than anything. So of course I, I'm in the, you know, I'm in the largest one. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in competition cheerleading where half of my bum is hanging out. Right. And I'm about to bust the seam. And, 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 and so, you know, I get dressed, I can barely move and, um, I'm thrown out there. There's absolutely no rehearsal. I have no idea what we're doing. The cameras go live. They point to me. And, you know, there's gentlemen sitting, you know, sparsed out throughout this half, half airplane. And, you know, I, I pretend that I'm pouring water and then I get attacked from different areas and I'm using what I have. Yeah. That is my first exposure to teaching in a high risk profession on camera, oh my Mexicana, Korean, yeah. Korean TV, <laughs> you name it was there. And that was, yeah. you know, we all, everyone is martial artists. We go through tests belt rankings. We know mm -hmm. what to expect. Sometimes we don't. That was not my idea, uh, my Alohe's idea. My test was every day. And that was a huge test right there. I yeah. could have made him look horrible. Um, and, you know, that was also in a controlled environment where I learned about, uh, you know, because I had gotten in fights before, but it was always mm -hmm. in a, a suppression, stop it, um, and not actually fight back. But now I'm in the offense mode. I'm the one striking. I'm the one being attacked. And so, you know, the physiological changes that happen in the body, the, the heartbeat overtakes you. That's all you can hear. Your, your hearing uh, minimizes. Your eyesight uh, becomes tunnel visioned. For yeah. me, uh, that, that surging uh, adrenaline and breath it goes shallow. So all of these things change during an attack. And I was having my first real experience mm. with about five attackers on camera. So, um, that is how I got into yeah. that and <laughs> it made me more effective. Andrea. Yeah. I was able to teach the pilots and mostly flight attendants, but they were all on leave. They were on, on, on post-traumatic stress disorder leave. They were scared to get back in the air and this program helped them get back into the air. And, uh, and I'm very proud of that and very honored to have been a part of that. And I now translate that into mm -hmm. some of the things that I'm working on today with another high risk profession, which is real estate. Um, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess you learned a lot about yourself that day and your competencies. And, um, you know, I went on to become a director of that program and I led it in Chicago as well as Miami. Um, so, it, and I helped write the actual official, um, uh, policy, if you will, on the mm -hmm. program. So that mm -hmm. was really uh, wonderful on many different levels. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So let's maybe switch a little bit of gears here and talk about your training now with the everyday woman. You have some programs that you teach and it touches on a lot of different aspects of what you know. So tell us a little bit about this program and where you teach it and what it's like. Well, you know, it's funny because I didn't, I never really set out um, to teach women. That's the irony right. of all of this. I, I've only ever 
you know, even growing up, I was one of those tomboys that was always surfing or skateboarding, climbing trees, playing football with the guys. And I had very few female friends um, just because, you know, it was a different mentality. Not that they were any better or worse than me. We were just different. They liked the ribbons and the hair and the lace um, you know, trimmed socks. And I, I, that really, I was more always very full contact. And I think today... I, I absolutely, Andrea, I don't know how you feel, but I love being a woman. Mm-hmm. I love everything about it. Um, I don't like being easily dismissed as, as a martial arts fitness model. I don't like that at all, but it comes with the territory and that's right. okay because then it right. shocks people. Right. But yeah. I, I think, you know, I hate to say this. We're so judged on our appearance that, you know, if there's a woman that looks more burly, obviously she's competent. But if you're feminine, you, you can't possibly know what you're doing. And I think right. that's still yes. some of the huge frustration in our culture that's changing. And I don't want to focus on that. I, I, we mm-hmm. do need to acknowledge it's there, minimizing, but it's still there. And not to respond and not get upset with that. But all of us are the same. We all have our story. It's not a competition of how much we've suffered or who has it better, who has better technique. We are one. And I think if we can remember that and move powerfully together in our elegant, powerful way, um, it's, it's extremely powerful. So there is an awakening happening. There's a movement where a lot of us women are really waking up to our, our gifts, our talents, and we're starting to step confidently into showing the world and sharing that with the world, what we can do uh, individually and together. And so you know, as uh, I think it was in 2014, I was invited to teach um, at um, Master Reed School in Atlanta. It's premier martial arts. And uh, he arranged for a self-defense class, which is really hard to put Lua into self-defense. It's not dumbed mm-hmm. down, but it's it's different. And when I arrived, I taught the, uh, my first kids class that night doing Hawaiian animals and turning it into strikes. But the next day um, I arrived and when I walked into his very large dojo, there were 78 women waiting for me and I, 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 I was overwhelmed, excited, but like, oh my goodness, how I'm, how am I going to manage this? What can I give these women? And that's when I connected with my guides, my ancestry and said, you are going to have to work through me as always. I need your help on what, you know, what do you, what will bless these women right now? What in Lua do you, and Hula do they need to be exposed to? And that is when my journey truly took flight as far as mm-hmm. helping women with self-defense and it morphed over the years. It has evolved. I created the she program, which is superhero experience for the everyday woman where we learn basic strikes, kicks, techniques to attacks. You know, I, I had a situation with a hammer and, and, and at a camping, a solo camping trip. Um, and so then I worked the hammer in, I, we worked with crowbars, zip ties, rape defense, um, getting women used to the ground, becoming friends with the ground because we're not, you know, we feel we're helpless when we're on the ground, but we're actually not. We feel we're helpless when we're thrown up against a wall, but we're not helpless. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, dispelling those beliefs of um, when we're on, you know, that's it. If I'm confronted by a knife, I'm dead. If I'm thrown up against the wall and choked from the front, I won't know right. if I'm dead. So it's, bre- it's breeding that confidence of learning just skills. Um, and so that's what it's transpired into. And um, I'm working on a project for the everyday woman, um, which will be a balance of mind, body, spirit. It's called the butterfly effect. And it's about transformation. Um, and I think most women that have um, unfortunately 
more of us than not have been exposed to and experienced a, a violent situation, domestic violence, incest and abuse, um, if not once, but over a repeated period of, of, of years. And, you know, we start to disassociate with our body. Um, and so like with my women's group now, um, you know, first the first two warrior levels are about reconnecting with one's body, about expressing, uh, allowing that uh, Nalu wave of energy to come through, understand where the blockages are through Hula and the contact mm-hmm. Lua and to reacquaint ourselves with loving us that it's okay, that you're worth it, that to dedicate yourself to the studies, to become whole and to learn more about oneself and the things that we do need to let go and the events that did actually pave our way, but they no longer need to. Uh, Our origin story can be written at any time. And in that preparedness, we move forward powerfully. And so those are, those are the two programs that I, I, three programs that I have going right now. Um, Yeah. yeah. Very nice. And the thing about martial arts, I think we can even generalize a little bit here with, with martial arts and self-defense overall is that it does provide that sense of confidence, which mm-hmm. is so important. Several of the women that I've had on the podcast have traumatic backgrounds or experiences and have used martial arts or self-defense as a way to eventually overcome. I don't think it ever goes away. No. It's always part of who you are. Right. But give them the ability to move past it a little bit and to try to live a, a fuller, happier life through it. So very important concepts that you're teaching women and uh, help, helping them overcome perhaps vulnerabilities, but also appreciating themselves more. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we never forget, Andrea, we never forget. And that's actually a good thing uh, because it keeps us on our toes and aware. And honestly, we become an, I'm, we're, I know a network. I mean, when, you know, there was just an incident last week, it was a week ago last night, actually, uh, where I got a phone call and it was a, it was a woman that I worked with on her, on the anniversary of her rape. And it was a private lesson Mm -hmm. and she was able to work through a lot of that. But then she phoned, she phoned a week ago and one of her coworkers had a similar experience and what should she tell her? She knew what to say and what she said, I just want to make sure I said the right things. And so we went through the actual legal process too. Um, so, you know, to, in, this is a teacher that, uh, not a martial arts teacher, but a professor. Um, and she wants to warn her fellow mm-hmm. students about this professor Um, and you know, she wants to get on social media and there's proper way to do this. And, you know, as the victim, you don't want to keep ripping off that scab when, especially since you've started healing, but you know, we do that when we re-examine it over and over again to get the juice, the energy attached to that released. And I think that there's, um, you know, we need to look at where we are too, if we're more reflective than a lighter act, you know, lighter activity, uh, you know, movement's medicine. So matching where we are, some days we don't feel like lifting 500 pounds and doing a million squats. We would do that yeah. when we're angry or confused. If you're kind of in the middle ground, you know, Zumba mm-hmm. or a lighter, you know, maybe working forms a little more powerfully, um, a medium type of body weight activity. But if we're reflective, then it's more of the yoga, the goddess walk, go for a walk, go hiking, um, work your forms in a more flowing movement. So giving yourself consideration and not treating the body as a robot is really where we start to grow within ourselves. Right. And this kind of is a, a interesting little segue into your 
other profession, because you talked a little bit about the legal aspects of things. Um, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and in the legal industry or as a legal professional. Uh, well, I mean, I started uh, in law in 96. And um, so it's been, what, 24 years now? Yeah. yeah. And I've had a really great career. I've enjoyed it. But I, I tell you, I'm tired lately. Uh, everyone in this, obviously, in the COVID climate, everyone's emotions and perceptions are heightened. Uh, but there's also a lot of an awakening and be, be, individuals being able to, if they so choose, to step into the reality of their life and, and resolve some issues that have been lingering. Mm-hmm. But um you know, dispute resolution. Um, I've been able to be a, a mediator in the most difficult cases as far as family and business, uh, whether it's contract terms and contract disputes, breaches, as well as family when it has to do with millions of dollars and hatred on each side, separating yeah. them into a room, removing the profanity, going back and forth between the two rooms, coming to an agreement and teaching college level law. Um, in uh, for contract law and research and and writing uh, one and two, and you know I've I've had a really great career. I I've enjoyed it, and the mindset of the marshal absolutely is applicable not only to law but everything that we do. And I often say that you know martial arts is you know it's, it's life is a martial arts technique. You, uh, you know, mm-hmm. are you going to stand there and get pummeled? Are you going to stand? You know, are you going to redirect and parry? Are you going to redirect, parry, and counter? Are you going to redirect, parry, counter, and finish it? And so, you know, it's it's a parable for us to be prepared, to be on our toes, be able to shift and finish what we started, whether we started it or not, and also to know when to just get away, when yeah. you no longer the wisdom to respond or not respond, how to respond. Or if you need to respond at all, you know, it's, there's all of these choices. Like we have different choices based on where our opponent is, what weaponry we want to use, meaning our hands, feet, um, the spacing, the timing, the amount of power that we throw at our focus. And that's really life. And I think I definitely, um, without even thinking now, these Lua principles are part of everything I do. The way I hold my, my fork, the way I will carry my groceries the way I prepare my food to the way that I work successfully in the legal profession um, and how I work with others um, also. And, but, you know, wisdom also will tell us that not everyone sees life through our, our lenses. They're not as intense and as focused and have the integrity that we have um, and to allow just to accept individuals for who they are and understand who they are and not take it personally because they're just working out of their level of consciousness. Um, So, you know, to not get so involved and take it personally, let it ruin our day. Uh, There's a study out there that one negative thought can shut down um, your digestive system or you fully functioning optimally for five hours. Uh, It's, it's interesting. And that, that link is, is true. You do apply martial arts, hopefully, to everything you do. So you've been able to integrate it into your legal career as well as all the aspects of your life. I know you've had many achievements and successes and we don't need to talk about them all, but I know there was one that was important to you maybe that stands out a little bit and that was that you were inducted into the Martial Arts History Museum Hall of Fame for altering the course of the history of martial arts. and. Explain why that is so important to you. 
Well, it is extremely important to me. I mean, like the royal order as well. Um, those two stand out for me because it's not a martial arts where a martial mm-hmm. arts association um, of of um, hall of fame, if you will, that you pay right. for. Um, well, we see that quite a bit, and you know, rightfully so. They're in private corporations; they're able to go ahead and honor whoever they wish. But the martial arts history museum is, is um, you're voted by your peers. You're voted to, to either be inducted or not inducted by your fellow peers. And um, it's, it's an institution that's a nonprofit that will survive all of us. It's so very important. And I was quite um, surprised again by the yeah. nomination and the induction. I think for me, it's significant because of what, um, you know, the cure, it's just really important because to alter the history of martial arts. Now, if it was just an induction, I'd say, well, that's really great. I'm there with, um, you know, Pacquiao. Uh, that's awesome. Or, you know, yeah. a master yeah. in, you know, Korea and Japan. And wow, awesome, especially as a woman, right, to be recognized. But to alter the course of the history of martial arts, because there hasn't been a high ranking woman in Lua for a while. Um, in fact, we have folklore and also history, minimal history records setting out the women warriors who were rulers, um, you know, among different islands back in ancient times. And for me, it's important uh, because it just shows that, you know, we, we can persevere um, and not even have that as a goal. And it just arrives. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like life, if we tend to plan everything, we're missing out. But if we go with the flow and we allow ourselves to be led, life is so much more exciting and profound. And that is what this really signifies for me to, to be actually thought of by my peers, to, be, to have altered the course of martial arts history. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's still very profound to me when I yeah, think about it. Very, I understand where you're coming from. I appreciate that sort of description or differentiation from the Hall of Fame. Um, because there are a lot of Hall of Fame and people deserve to be recognized. Yes. And, and, but your situation with the museum, it is a little bit different. It is uh, altering something that's been around for a long time and an interpretation of it. So you've really done a fantastic job of changing the course of history there. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, what would you want to remind women about, about safety or even the importance of martial arts? Um, what can you say to the women out there? Because I'm sure there are listeners who want to know why, why does everybody think martial arts are so important for women? What is it that's different for us than maybe for men? Why, why so important? What are your maybe thoughts to share with the women out there who are listening? Well, there's so much to say on this topic. Yeah, yeah um, there really is. There really is, Andrea. I um, I don't even know really where to start. My, my if you are a, a martial arts practitioner, regardless of your rank and years of study, when you do study with your your master, your teacher, think about what you're learning in a martial sense and how that can be applied to your survival on the street. There's always yeah. a dojo traditional application, and then there's also the real life application. I, I, I tend to use one specific example um, of not paying attention for myself. During my early years, when I was still, still sequestered, isolated with my teacher, he showed me a basic knife takeaway. When uh, my opponent would come and thrust uh, towards my gut with a knife, and 
I was supposed to angle slightly, um, capture the hand and the forearm, and then bite, shark bite with my nails, his hand holding the weapon mm-hmm. um, and slice him three times with his own hand holding the knife before he hit the ground. Then another slice after yeah. I disarm yeah. him when he hits the ground. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm what I would I'm never going to do this. I could never do that. And I think us women, we we don't want to hurt anybody. I hear this. all yeah. well, I'm sorry, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. Get rid of sorry. Stop saying sorry. If someone is attacking you, you have every right to hurt them in response. You know, we reflect, right? If they're coming with you in bad energy, you need to return that. We need to stop out of the nicety to stop dumbing down ourselves and train for every situation. Um, And so I I just was fighting with it. I'm not going to learn that. I can't learn that. I'll focus on other techniques that same night. And I went through this whole saga, this mental torment on my 45 minute drive home. That night going to sleep, I had a vision of a man standing in my daughter's doorway with a knife in his hand by his leg. And that was the vision. And I have goosebumps right now telling you this story because it was so, she's 26 and a half now. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was what, five at the time, four. And that was a message from my guides, my ancestors telling me pay attention, Michelle, pay attention. You, you must master these because guess what? If that actually was real, you better believe I would have done that technique. Mm -hmm. Um, so, Mm -hmm. you know, not judging what we're learning, take it all in, be open, be that dry sponge, be thirsty, continue to learn and always have your safety at the forefront of your mind. These aren't, you know, you're learning something for a reason, whether it's traditional or safety, safety, pay attention, take it all in. You may not need it, but you might. What if you, you just take it, become as whole and the best student that you can become because it does impact us in every way and learn more things. If you feel your inner woman is calling you to learn something else that your teacher is not teaching, you know, go and learn it, go and take a very specified class on what you feel like, you know, if your thing is being suffocated, I hate to say it, it's not a nice topic. Learn techniques about how you can get out of that. If he comes from the side, if you're on the ground, if he comes from behind, what to do. If that is your fear, tackle it. That's a great, that's a great point to tackle your fears and also to break down your barriers just because you're a woman or just we're raised a certain way sometimes or there are certain expectations, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier about looking a certain way Mm -hmm. or behaving a certain way. And unfortunately, when it comes to real self-defense and martial arts, we have to let those things go. That's one of the things that we have to let go in order to actually learn and be able to apply it. So, um, well, I agree. And and it also goes to two other things, courage and conditioning. You Mm -hmm. know, we really need, you don't have to tell everybody, keep it to yourself, keep it private, but dedicate to yourself that you're going to overcome some of these things and you're going to move into that space of empowerment and exude that power from now on. You don't have to tell, you know, you don't have to get in a fighter stance every time you feel threatened. It's better when right. we are actually right. underestimated. Um, you know, the work that I'm doing with the real estate agents is um, very interesting because I, in my research, nine out of 10 attacks out of 180,000 attacks a year are on women. But guess what? That one out of 10 on the man is much more brutal. It's blunt force. It is knifing. Mm-hmm. It's duct taping. And then they, they, they toy with the man and eventually murder him. But the nine out of 10 
they actually play with the women. There is some sort of initial, but us women actually have a chance to get out of it. And that's where our preparedness and training comes in is to respond properly. And then secondly is the conditioning. We really need, I think, would benefit from working out, not just lifting weights statically, doing different moves. It's being able to respond to life, to carry like I posted the other night, carry a neighbor up the stairs or to be able to climb through a small space to maintain your flexibility, increase Mm -hmm. your strength and your cardio. So you can know all the techniques you want, but if you're going to get winded and you don't know how to breathe properly and you're closing your eyes and you're flinching, you're dead. Yeah. Every second matters. And so actually getting your workout for fitness to fit in our clothes to actually benefit your ability to defend yourself. Yeah, great so points. those great. are very important things that we really need to, to, to do every day and get into a habit um, of doing these things for ourselves. Right. Yeah. It's self-care too. Yes. Yes. So, so many, so many great topics to talk to you about, Michelle, but I know we're, <laughs> we're starting to run out of time. Um, and I, I just want to thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to share today before we say goodbye? Um, on this podcast. And again, I will post any links that you'd like. We'll get those out there as well. But is there anything else you'd like to share today? Well, thank you so much first for having me, Andrea. You're welcome. I'm, I'm a huge supporter and fan of yours and the work that you do. And I'm very aware and stay abreast of some of the challenges that you actually have in this work that you do. Mm-hmm. And you're an inspiration uh, in definitely that, that area of courage um, to keep bringing forth, bringing the women of martial arts to the forefront and saying, we won't be forgotten. We right. are doing work. We're moving forward. Um, and thank you for your support. And so thank you for all that you do um, for us collectively. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, it really is a, a passion for me and, and part of my purpose. So it just comes naturally for me to want to do that. But thank you. Well, I guess I just like um, to close with my usual saying, which is from when I first started is, you know, own your space, powerfully embrace who you are and don't apologize for what you know, continue to strive and become more than who you are. Um, and, and, And that's it, you know, just own your space. Wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Andrea. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.